Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey, kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, but we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. It's comics. And here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome back to Hey Kids Comics. We're banking these at the minute, aren't we? We are. Before Michael shoots back off to uni, or has already shot off to uni, de- delete as applicable. Yeah. Depending upon when I actually get this I'll one. Have, I'll have gone back by the time this By the time up. this one goes up, more than likely. All right, yeah. Today's episode... Finger on the pulse, as ever. Yeah. We have decided to do a show that ties in with a current movie. A hot new movie. That came out six months ago. Did it really? <laughs> I think so. It must have done, because it's on Blu-ray now, isn't it? No, six months ago, Star Wars came out. No, that was that was seven, eight months ago. Star Wars came out at Christmas. Yeah. It is now nearly September. Is September deleters applicable? It's now past September. <laughs> Depending on again yeah. when I actually get on my ass and uh, and release these. So yeah, the comics that we're talking about today are Batman Superman team ups. Yeah. To coincide with the Batman Superman movie that came out six months ago. Yeah. <laughs> We'd always planned on doing one. We had. I'd always planned it was, on doing it. Was it. In the book. It was in the book. And then you were just so irate about Batman versus Superman. Have you calmed down yet? Now that the dust has settled. What did you think of the three-hour cut? Which we did watch, lovely listener. Um, You sleeping through it. (laughs) uh, It kind of just says everything you need to know. I did doze off a little bit, didn't I? It's it's the perfect case of, of... Artist versus production. Yeah. In that the three commerce hours... versus commerciality. Yeah. In that the three hours version is the way you're supposed to see it. That's the way it's supposed to be. The three hour you... version is a better film. However, that's like saying a polished turd is still a turd. Mm. But the three hour one's polished. Yeah. The three hour version is a better film. The story makes more sense. The character motivations make more sense. The film as a whole holds up much better. Better than the two and a half hour theatrical cut. It's still better than the cut version, which is still not a good film. Yes, I'm pretty much in agreement with you. It's still the same film. Mm. And if you, like I did, found it quite headache-inducing and meh in its two-hour, 30-minute cut, the three-hour cut is not going to make you think it is any less meh or headache-inducing. Yeah, if you love the original, you'll love this. If you hated the original, you're not going to change your mind. Yeah, if if you're one of those people um, who thought that the original Batman vs Superman was a solid, entertaining superhero flick with a lot of added dimensions, then the theatrical cut cut out an awful lot of that, and the... DVD extended cut is that what it's called ultimate edition is yeah. that what it's called adds a lot more dimension to it I will actually concede that there are more character beats 
more motivation for Superman doing what Superman is doing yeah. in the extended cut. Whereas you were quite angry about the theatrical I cut. I wouldn't say I was angry. Uh, you were. Yeah. <laughs> We've actually got that recorded. Edi- editing scenes yes. from that, that show. So, oh, and, and you didn't feel it was any great improvement, did you? No. Right. Okay. It's a polished turd. Yeah, it's, it's basically, it falls into my theory of extended slash director's cuts anyway. Mm. If the film was good in the first place... The extended slash director's cut is probably just a bit longer, but it's still good. Yeah. If the film wasn't very good in the first place, then extended director's cut is just a longer version of a film that wasn't very good. And if we look at the, the history of extended um, cuts of movies, there's only that Orson Welles one, Touch of Evil, okay, and The Abyss right. that are actually better movies in their extended slash director's form. Okay. Aliens is a good film. In its director's cut, it's a good longer film. Yeah. Terminator 2 is a good film. In its extended cut, it's just a good longer film. Mm. And I think I would argue, at least with Aliens, the scenes are are good and necessary to the film. In Terminator 2, they're not necessary. The Mm. film works just as well if you cut out that bit in the middle where they're operating on his head. Right. So there's a lot of cases where it's just self-indulgent twaddle. Yeah. Uh, and Batman vs Superman is very much like that. It's still the film that you saw in the cinema, but longer. And if the film that you saw in the cinema entertained you, you will like the book Numathon edition. I guess it's more like reading the theatrical cut was if you read a book but skip the odd chapter. It was still written and you should have read it, but it was cut from mm. what you're experiencing. Yeah, whereas now you're getting the unexpurgated version yeah. and you'll probably enjoy it. Mm. Whereas I was just meh. But all of that is aside because it's a comic book podcast that we do, not a film review podcast. We've already done that. We've already done that. And uh, we're actually going to talk about Superman Batman comics. On the docket for tonight, real comic books, lovely listener, listen. Uh, Action Comics Annual number one by John Byrne, Arthur Adams and Dick Giordano from 1987. The Batman Adventures issue 25 from Kelly Puckett, Mike Parabek and Rich Burchette from early November 94, it says on here. I don't know why early November would... Oh, wasn't that the time that DC were trying to line up the cover dates more in line with real life? Okay. So they went through a period of doing early and late November so that there were three months difference between the cover date and the, the what's it anymore. Right. And then Superman Batman Annual number two from May 2008 by Joe Kelly and Scott Collins. All of this is coming your way in today's Hey Kids Comics. That was professional, wasn't it? It was. It sounded like, like that. a sound effect. Did. Boop, boop. Lightning. Shots fired. Anyway, before we do that, should we do some email? I said some. Two emails. Yeah. That's what we've got. Uh, let's be sexist for a moment is Patrick Delmore's That's email. That's my favourite pastime. <laughs> Jokes. Joking. Oh, dear me. <laughs> you do realise, like, right, you're old enough now to defend yourself. So I don't run interference anymore. I've, I've stated before. So when you make South Park gags, I just let them stand, dude. As, uh, when you make references it's, to the art of the deal, we've, we've, I, this we've, isn't on me anymore. <laughs> we've been doing this for six years. The dark side of the deal was actually quite a funny gag. Though. It was, right? I, I, yeah, it was funny. Yeah. It was good. I like I'm, that. I'm, I'm never offensive. You're never not funny. I'm never offensive. I'm funny. There's a difference. 
you're allowed to be offensive if you're funny. Is that what it is? It's how is I Is this get... the, the Frankie Boyle approach? It's, it's how I get away with most things I say. Mm. Do you know, I, I, I get away with stuff at work that I shouldn't get away with largely because apparently I have a very cheeky grin. Fair enough. So yeah. that, that eases yeah. the way. Besides, you know, we've been running six years. If, if <laughs> People know what to expect. If you get, if you get offended fight. by something we say, you should listen to our show a bit more. <laughs> I don't think well, we don't go out of our way to offend people. No, of course. I not. I have never gone out of my way to offend someone. It happens naturally. It does. <laughs> I just, just naturally offensive yeah. to most people. Um, I don't think I've ever said anything controversial, have I? I don't know. I can only ever recall saying if you think hitting a woman is acceptable, you can <laughs> right off. Have do we? I have, don't think that's controversial. Do enough people listen to us for us to be controversial? I don't think so. I think we've got fifteen loyal listeners. <laughs> Did we always... No, didn't we increase that to 17 at some I've, point? I have no idea. Maybe we've got 20 now. I think we've dwindled in the... Uh, do you think? In in the, the, the specials. Yeah, yeah. Well, the specials are never as good as the series. We've been too. coming straight to DVD. Yeah. These are the these are the greatest hits albums that the, the band released later to try and make up for lost sales on the right. new material that no one really cares about anymore. That's what we are. Fair enough. Okay. Anyway, Patrick's email, which we got distracted from, yeah. as we always seem to do. When we start the first email of the show. Hi Andy, hi Michael, just listened to your excellent Earth One episode. Well, that, that's starting well. It is. Then he thought it was excellent. I couldn't get into Superman. I had it out from the library and my roommate at the time loved it, but I was bored. Maybe I'll try it again someday. I thought Batman was great, but I have to agree with Trentus Magnus about how terrible an idea Birthday Boy was. When I was about 25 or so, I purged all my comics that looked like they were for children, but had things in them I don't think children should read. Batman will naturally draw kids in. I'm an uncle, so this is a legitimate concern in my home, and I wouldn't want to be responsible for being the gateway to a young family member finding out about paedophilia, particularly in the stylized way it's presented here. Of course, someone asked me if the comic is worth reading. I'll allow them to make their own judgment. That's an interesting point, that, isn't it? That, you know, if you think of a comic book character for kids... Right. Is it Batman anymore? It's... Because I think that DC have done the level best since 1985 or so mm. to to squirrely aim Batman at teens and older. Yeah. I mean, I know there's a little bit of residual embarrassment there but about the Adam West TV what's, show. What's funny about it, though, is, say, Harley Quinn and Deadpool for Marvel are the two big characters now who are popular amongst younger people. Yeah, but teens, not kids. Uh, Anya. You see, Anya's a teenager now. I know you have difficulty for, accepting this. For, for a couple of months, she's not. She, so. she's still, she is, she's 13, isn't she? Yeah, your sister's 13, dude. Is she? Yes. All right. <laughs> your sister is quite, a teenager. Quite clearly, this year yes. of university has just, just flown right, right by. Yeah, okay, fair enough. So even the animated series, which was heard on Saturday mornings in America, and over here. Fox we, Kids. It, Fox Kids and WB Kids and all that mm. stuff. Your mum can watch that show. And psychologically, she'll go, that's quite clever. That's quite good. So even though it was written and shown in the six six o'clock, Saturday morning time slot, mm. it was written at a higher level. It's it's a mature show, which is different from it being an adult show. I agree entirely. But isn't that what I'm saying, that they're pitching at Batman at that slightly more mature level now? Yeah, they definitely are. Do you but... think Batman has really been suitable for children since the mid-80s? Batman Adventures. Other than titles like other, that. Other than the cartoon. The regular stuff. books. No, no, no. 
No, since Dark Knight Returns, yeah. I think they've purely but pitched Batman at the, the more mature end of the market. They've, like we were saying about the difference between mature and adult just then, the more adult books, but not necessarily mature books. Well, that, we've talked about that before, the difference between adult and mature. Yeah. I think the Snyder run is mature. Yes. And I think in the 70s, if you were 14, 15 in the 70s and reading the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams stuff, that was mature. Mm. That was that was aimed at a slightly older audience. And I think coming up as a kid, I always felt DC was aimed at a slightly older audience than Marvel. Yeah. When I was coming into it in the 80s, Teen Titans, I think, was aimed squarely at a slightly older market. Mm. So I, I don't... Ooh, see, that's a tough one, because, yeah, the Adam West TV show is squirrely aimed at children. Yeah. But the Adam West TV show is still there for you to show to kids. I guess it kind of depends on you as an, a parent and your children. Because mm. I was reading Walking Dead at 12, but maybe... You were reading Preacher at 12. But maybe... Uh, that was 13, actually. Mm. But maybe not. it's not appropriate for every child. I'm not saying, oh, I was a special snowflake and I was really cool. But I'm saying... <laughs> you are a special snowflake. That's that's what you and mum say. I'm, I'm cool. But uh, I'm saying like... <laughs> Me and mum say you're cool. Yeah, I'm saying how appropriate something is to a child is dependent on the child and the parent. Their own child's maturity level. Yeah. And what the parent thinks that child is capable of absorbing. Yes. Right. Fair enough. As opposed to you, who felt that your sister was perfectly acceptable watching Metal Gear Solid when she was eight, when we weren't in the house. Metal Gear Solid's fine. Oh, the other one that isn't. Oh, Grand Theft Auto. That's the one. That's. Uh, I could tell a story right now about you purchasing. <laughs> Moving <an> up. 18... <laughs> uh, Patrick says I bought Wonder Woman at a comic shop without having read it first. I didn't care for it on initial reading. I was going to donate it or something, but my roommate convinced me that this was kink positive literature and a worthwhile story what is kink positive literature literature in that it's okay to i'm gonna google that i am i am exceptionally interested is safe search on (laughs) not on my laptop dude kink positive therapists i don't want that i want kink positive that's it i do not know what kink positive is patrick so i am googling that Eight ways to be positive, your sex positive. Is it going Urban Dictionary? Okay, Urban Dictionary just has kink. Ah, right. yeah, but... It doesn't have kink positive. Sexual taste for a person. An unusual taste in sexual... All oh, right, so bondage, so bondage heavy. Yes, yeah. Right, so we're, we're back to talking about bondage again. Yes. I have never referred to... I have never heard it referred to as kink positive. What? Have you? I don't know. It's kind of like the term kinky and you're saying yeah yeah i get kinky and but i've never heard it called kink positive literature no i've heard it called bondage yeah or bondage play or whatever Mm. and this is slightly uncomfortable to discuss with you so we'll move swiftly (laughs) have you really heard of all these things father (laughs) (laughs) patrick continues To the point you guys made, I don't see this book as being pro-rape in any way. I haven't seen the review you mentioned, so I can't comment on its specifics. However, just looking at the artwork without reading the comic, I don't see a rape at all. Hercules and Hippolyta remain covered the entire time. He's got his hand on her backside and kudos to Paquette. This panel is the one time Hippolyta doesn't have a sexy face going on during the exchange. 
Perhaps the issue the reviewer had was that in the modern language of comics, women must always look sexy, even in unsexy times. Maybe to the reviewer, making a crime of violence look like a crime of passion on the face of a woman was more than they could stomach. As for me, I'll have no problem sharing this comic with any interested party, and most likely Slag Volume 2. Snag Volume 2. Thanks for the hours of free entertainment, Patrick. You're very welcome, Patrick. That's an interesting uh, thought, that. Mm. That... I don't for any second think that Grant Morrison was writing that as pro-rape. No, I but the, the complaint in the review was against the art. Yeah, and again, I want to say it was a Comics Alliance review, but I can't be sure, the, I can't remember. Paquette's a very kind of sexy artist, like Terry Dodson, mm. Rancho and that kind. So, if he was a lesser artist, then yeah, his art could betray what the scene was trying to say. Which, see, we didn't think that it did, did it? But again, we welcome other opinions. Mm. I don't think any women listen to this dribble. Because even Wonder Woman standing there, he did in a very kind of sexual way, because that's the kind of artist he is. And that's the kind of character Wonder Woman is. Yeah. Isn't Wonder Woman inherently sexy? Yeah, and he's drawing all of his women to be like that, because that's the kind of artist he is. Mm. But But he also put Etta Candy in it. Yeah. But if he was a lesser artist, then that scene in particular could be shown as Mm. very sexualised and betray the message right yeah okay that's fair enough all right well thank you patrick thank you for emailing in again i like that patrick never never shies away from the controversial topics like kink positive like kink positive and um captain america white bread and all that stuff yeah yeah so that was quite we're not the only offensive ones on our show (laughs) i think the email writers are frequently more offensive than you and i are we need a disclaimer on this yeah, the email section is nothing to do with us. Mm-hmm. These are these people's own words <laughs> and read into them whatever you wish. Uh, Chris Franklin's emailed in just saying Earth One. Hello, Leyland. Hello, Christopher. Great and thought-provoking episode on the Earth One graphic novels. Oh, again, a good start. Mm-hmm. Our son, Andrew, has been a fan of the Batman Superman books from this series, and I've read them. For some reason, they didn't really stick with me. I think because we've been hit with so many new versions of these characters in the last decade, it's impossible to keep up and not have them all meld together. Wonder Woman, for instance, the latest character in the series, is having two separate origin stories being published by DC at this very moment. One in a regular title, and one in a special miniseries. And then, of course, we're getting our first glimpse of her movie origin in the trailer. Straczynski definitely needed a credit on Man of Steel, no doubt. That's the kind of criminal that he didn't. I totally get Andy's point about Batman being too green in the first Earth 1 volume. Batman Year 1 does a great job of balancing a new on-the-job Dark Knight with the badass we expect. His fight with the Gotham SWAT team is a perfect example of how it should be done. The more militaristic Alfred was quickly brought into the Beware the Batman animated series that Cartoon Network left out in the wild to die before anyone really got a chance to get into it. I haven't seen the Wonder Woman book yet, but it sounds intriguing. A modern take on the Golden Age version, taking the unspoken truths of that run and bringing those taboo subjects to the fore makes sense. And that opening scene sounds pretty cut and dry to me. No one seems to want to take anything at face value anymore. Many people just have to read what they want in every comic, movie, book, etc. And even YouTube clip. Whether it's to support their views or be offended by a contradictory point, they search for it until they find it, which is a real shame. Of course, Morrison is very rarely straightforward in his work, so maybe his name just sent that reviewer looking for hidden meanings. Another winner, gents, Chris. Well, thank you very much, Christopher. It's entirely possible. And um, I I don't have any desire to slag off the reviewer. She had her point of view. As I said in the article, uh, in the episode, I thought it was a good article. I just didn't agree with a word of it. Mm. Um, And yeah, Morrison is normally... 
his work is obfuscated by meanings and layers and metatextual commentary. I actually think that Wonder Woman thing is probably the most straightforward piece of comics writing he's ever done. Yeah. Even more than his Flash and Aztec stuff. Mm. It was a straightforward Wonder Woman origin story, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, as with all Morris and those... There is probably an annotated Wonder Woman Earth 1 website somewhere probably. with page after page of this means this. But for the most part, it's just a straightforward Wonder Woman story. Yeah. Although it's... I think we do live in an era where everyone wants to be offended. So maybe... I don't. Oh, no. But maybe if it had come out in... 2012, 2013, whenever he was talking about it, yeah, maybe there wouldn't have been that much controversy surrounding it. Possibly. Possibly not. Mm. You know, we live in an era where the great British Bake Off can produce pictures of the contestants. And cause and, controversy. And the men have got blue icing and the women have got pink icing and suddenly yeah. the BPC accused of rampant sexism. Yeah. Which was slightly silly. Especially seen as in Photoshop they then later went in and just changed all the ice into green. Did they? Which I thought was a brilliant solution to the problem. There you go. Anyway, that'll do for the email section, largely because we've got no more emails and I don't want to just make them up. <laughs> like Stadler. Right, you write your own emails. Yeah, if, if I made up my you emails. You guys were great. Yeah, that, that's pretty much what they'd be. Best episode ever. Indeed, yeah. Every week. <laughs> Dear Andy and Michael, best episode ever. So we'll take a quick break and the show will get plugged. And then we'll be back with Superman and Batman comics. Hurrah! Sawete. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. The goal of Backroll to Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Backroll and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spaway, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history, and determines whether they are hot or not, Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their Backroll Year One work, Brian Q. Miller on his Backroll run, Dwayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the Backroll Spoiled, the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. Batman and Superman, the world's finest team, first made their dramatic debut as friends in World's Best Comics issue 1, but only as the cover feature. World's Best Comics was renamed World's Finest Comics with issue number two, and despite there being many jaunty covers with our heroes skiing together, playing baseball, saluting the troops or posing with phallic cannons between their legs, Batman, Superman and Robin the Boy Wonder didn't actually share adventures inside, both keeping to their own strips. They didn't meet in the pages of World's Finest until issue 71, cover dated August 1954, and then due to necessity rather than creativity. 
With that issue, World's Finest dropped its page count from 64 pages to 32, and rather than lose its most popular features, editor Jack Schiff made the decision to have them team up to share adventures. As per the chummy chummy covers, the adventures lent more towards bonhomie and featured Batman and Superman as pals rather than adversaries or rivals. Schiff had a precedent for teaming the two up, however. Despite this dynamic duo sharing the covers of World's Finest, they had actually met, for the first time, in the pages of Superman's own comic, 1952's Superman issue 76. Entitled The Mightiest Team on Earth, we covered this in our critically acclaimed yet non-award winning series, Happy Birthday Superman. Numerous retcons saw that this adventure wasn't actually their inaugural adventure. With continuity implants, thanks to the Justice Society and World's Finest Comics issue 94, muddying the waters somewhat. These early adventures pretty much defined the Superman-Batman relationship for the next several decades, though. Throughout the 50s, 60s and 70s, the last son of Krypton and the Dark Knight detective were allies and buddies, friends and confidants. When Superman had a birthday party, the biggest gift was from the Batman. All good things, however, come to an end. The seeds of discord had started being sown by DC in the early 1980s. World's Finest issue 302 had a cover featuring Batman punching a staggered Superman senseless thanks to some gloves made of kryptonite. World's Finest issue 320 returns the favour as a mind-controlled Superman threatens to turn Batman into paste. The final issue of the series, issue 323 from January 1986, has Batman dissolve the partnership and Superman fly off into the sunset whilst Batman commits suicide by stepping off a gargoyle. Honest, he does. Just go and look at the cover. This was all just prelude to the main event. The Dark Knight. Written and drawn by Frank Miller, The Dark Knight features a 55-year-old Bruce Wayne stepping out of retirement to stop a diseased and crime-ridden Gotham from eating itself. It's up to Superman, here portrayed as a government stooge with no real brain to speak of, to stop him. The Dark Knight has been hugely influential on comics for a number of reasons, not least the ridiculous idea that Batman could take Superman in a fight. The other guideline for how to write Superman and Batman post-1985 is in Man of Steel issue 3, written by John Byrne. One night in Gotham City was the new first meeting of Superman and Batman following DC's decision to chuck all of their books into the dumpster and start again. This version has Superman and Batman be decidedly antagonistic to each other, to the point where Superman decides to haul this clueless vigilante off to prison and be done with it. The issue ended by proving that Batman was a Star Trek fan, by having him muse that, in another life, perhaps, we could have called each other friend. Batman is a long-time favourite of ours, and Superman has our utmost respect, especially after the aforementioned Happy Birthday Superman series of episodes. Now all the furore over the recent Batman vs Superman movie has died down, we thought it would be fun to look at a couple of our favourite Batman and Superman stories for a look to see why these are more in line with how we see our favourite caped crusaders. Apart from you, who didn't actually bring any stories to the you table. You said our favourite Superman and Batman stories, I can't think of any. Why not? I can't. All you said to me was, we could, hush. No, that was, that was the Jim Lee one. All oh, right, which we haven't recorded I'm yet. Thinking about it. I'm thinking really hard. Okay. This is my really hard face. <laughs> looked like you were taking a dump. <laughs> I can't think of There's it. great Superman-Batman stories. Okay. So I, I could have picked more than this. Do you? Could you, you there's the Scott Snyder one. Which one? In whatever issue of Batman, he meets Batman. Superman meets Batman. Oh, you mean Endgame? Yeah. 
The I la- can speak. The last story arc when Superman's in it just for that one issue. Yeah, to get k- kicked. Yeah. Get kicked about a bit. Yeah, All right. Maybe, maybe yeah. not. Maybe not that one then. Anyway. It's our still first. It's on the useless trade though. Yes, that useless trade paperback that came out when the film came out. Yeah. Yeah, it's a terrible trade. Uh, despite running since 1938, the venerable action comics never had an annual until 1987. Following the rebooting of Superman in 1986, writer-artist John Byrne successfully reinvented action comics as a team-up title. His reasons for doing so were twofold. One, with the title being Action Comics, Byrne felt that with two or more heroes joining Superman for monthly adventures, more opportunities for high-octane slugfests would present themselves. And B, with DC Comics Presents recently cancelled, this was a chance to explore Superman's place in the larger DCU. Of course, for the very first action annual, there was really only one team-up that fitted the bill. Superman and Batman. Skeeter was written by Byrne with pencils and inks by Arthur Adams and Dick Giordano. The cover is also by Adams and Giordano and it's a stunner. A simple posed image for Superman and Batman with gloriously illustrated vampire bats in the background. It's a real eye catcher. What do you think? Uh, it's good. I think it's great. Batman I really looks like... a bit weird though. Why? Why does Batman look a bit weird? He's uh, crouching slightly strangely. Right, yeah. I will I He's will got agree. Big fat legs. It. He's got big fat thighs. Well, Arthur Adam there is prefigure in the nineties. Mm. Where Jim Lee drew everyone with huge thighs. And then Rob Liffield drew everyone with massive thighs <laughs> and no feet. Yeah. They just walked around on stubby thighs wherever mm. they went. They didn't even have knees that bent. <laughs> Captain America with his big boobs. Yes, and his big boobies. <laughs> I made you laugh. Boobies. It's a funny word. <laughs> Uh, so, Jimsy, I like Batman. I think Batman looks really good. I like that there's more dark in the cape and the cowl and the, and the gloves mm. than previously. It does very much like the, the costume is black with blue highlights. Yeah, he's contrasting again. Yeah, Superman. I suppose. He's the very other bright. Yeah, Superman is uh, the very light blue, in contrast to the issue, where mm. Superman frequently has a very dark blue costume throughout this entire story, doesn't he? Right. So I thought that was quite interesting. What I, what I like about it, what I think sets it off, is the background. The bats... Are, are depicted in is it, what are they called speed lines cross hatching yeah, yeah. whatever so they're not actually coloured in so it really makes the figures Superman and Batman and the logo Action Comics really stand out the Action Comics logo is orange which you wouldn't think would work on a Batman cover mm. and yet really does on this one so well, I'm a big fan an Action Comics cover not yeah, Batman that's true uh, I'm I'm a big fan of that I think that's really good I don't know why the DC bullet's yellow. Or is that just my copy? It looks like it's just aged. Yeah, no, no, because the approved by comics code's still white. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. It's yellow. That's why. That's yellow. Oh, yeah. Okay. See what I mean? Yeah. So it seems a bit weird that to me. Originally, this cost one dollar twenty-five or a whole sixty p. Maybe the comics code authority just really wanted to be out there <laughs> with never not being white ink. Well, it's quite interesting that the comics code authority is even on this one because the, there was a time where they wouldn't have passed vampire stories at all. At no point are the issue referred to as a vampire issue. Oh no, Superman says it once, I think. Uh, well, and the, the crime vampires on the cover. I have not actually <laughs> noticed that until just now. Oops. Suddenly, my opinion that, oh, this is actually really well written and plot twisted, is a bit out the window. Well, that's alright, because you, 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 you didn't see that, then it still works, yeah. doesn't it? I mean, you're right, you don't need that. I'd take that, that cover copy off and just have the, the cover stand on its own, Yeah, to be honest with you. 
Anyway, synopsis for this issue runs as follow. In Fayetteville, North Carolina, a young girl named Skeeter is hunted in the swamplands by a baying mob. She accidentally leads them to her shack and, afraid that they'll find her parents, she lures the mob away. Returning later, we learn her parents are desiccated corpses. A few days later, a disguised Bruce Wayne arrives following a trail that started in Gotham. Batman believes vampiric activity is afoot. After his own run-in with the locals, he calls Clark Kent and asks him to send Superman and then runs into Skeeter, who thinks Batman is who she has been waiting for. Superman duly drops by and the local sheriff informs Superman of the town's vampire problem. With Buffy nowhere in sight, Superman investigates and is shocked by the sheer number of enslaved people. As Batman falls under Skeeter's spell and then under quicksand, Superman is alarmed when the enslaved awaken and start off towards the swamps. He manages to prevent them reaching their destination with a wall of hard earth. But Skeeter approaches the Man of Steel, who is shocked to learn that he is vulnerable to her vampiric tendencies. Before he can succumb, Batman, who survived the quicksand by simply swimming out of it, stakes Skeeter through the heart. Batman refuses to accept thanks. After all, the world really doesn't need a super vampire. Back in Gotham, Batman then stakes all of Skeeter's victims. Yay, well done Batman. <laughs> well done for saving the day there in Superman's comic. Even Superman's just the bait in this, really. <laughs> Do you think that's what he called it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to be a, a big blue bait for me? <laughs> yeah, okay. I can totally handle this mission on my own, Clark, but um, I, I need somebody to just be bait. <laughs> I need somebody to be the chum for the shark. Oh, and if by any chance you could whip up, I don't know, a, a, a wall of, of uh, that would be great. <laughs> a wall of harder. <laughs> and Superman's like, what the harder? Uh, anyway, um, great opening. I really did like the opening. I like the use of thick black borders. Was this published a few? Were this published a few years later? The borders would have gone right to the page edges, wouldn't they? Yeah. But at, at this time, that this is newsprint, so it doesn't really have that. Um, the young girl in a, in a pair of Daisy Dukes runs through the swamplands of North Carolina, hunted by a group of torch carrying rednecks. They've got pitchforks as well. Yeah. Do you know what that is? This is a Hammer Horror movie if Hammer Horror had set their movies in the South of America. Because yeah. every single... And included Batman and Superman. And included Batman and Superman. Every single Hammer Horror movie with Dracula in has a baying mob oh, yeah. at some point <laughs> with torches and pitchforks. <laughs> why Why has Skeeter got Mr. Peanut on a t-shirt? I wondered that, but was he not popular at the moment? Uh, but, uh, uh, was there no significance to that? Or was it just the? Is Mr. Peanut... A copyrighted symbol because he's got a rights reserve side next to him. Yeah. So I I didn't get that. I didn't. I've... Well, it was either that or the Monopoly Man. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I like this intro in that it's it's we think the mob are the bad guys. Yes, that is a very nice touch that we think the mob uh, are chasing Skeeter. And we the, don't know why they're after the foreshadowing Skeeter. the house. Yeah, the foreshadowing of the the, the shack. The reveal of her parents is well timed. Because it's like you pointed out a couple of issues ago, you, you only see them in shadow. Mm. And it's only when you turn the page, you see that they're desiccated corpses. Who killed her parents? I don't know. The townspeople. You think? Could have been. Because she does say, when I seed what they done to you. So yeah, okay, the townspeople have, have killed her parents. But after they did that, they, they sat them both round the table. Prop- or maybe she propped them up so that she felt like they were still oh, right. with her. Okay. 
all right, well, she does say I came home and found you, and she does, she's been in Gotham yeah. for some reason that is never explained. So yeah. she just went to Gotham for a snack. Yeah. Okay. All right, like, all of this makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I do like the accents in this, though. In, do you in, like it when they write phonetic accents? Oh, no, I hate it. Oh, right. Okay. In this, everyone sounds like Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Do you think, is that what is that who you heard when you were reading it? It... No, it was... Whoever, I heard Six Feet Under. Whoever I think of when I I read Rogue or something. <laughs> who's, who's also very forced and badly written. Yeah, I, I, well, I, she's in Six Feet Under, isn't she? Right, okay. So, yeah, so yeah, that's what I heard. I heard it being the cast of Six Feet Under. Um, letter Albert de Guzman throws in a nod to Gaspar Saladino when Bruce Wayne pulls into town the name of the diner. Mm is Gaspers. I only noticed that because Gaspar Saladino passed away last week. Right. As we record this episode. Yeah. So that kind of stuck out to me. I thought, oh, that's a nice touch. Um, Bruce is giving a lift into town uh, to a lovely woman who's broke down just outside of town. She's going to die, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> you know when I, I read this? Yeah. Do you remember that? The, the Batman Superman issue we did where it's Batman's silhouette and then he, he lights up and oh it's Superman yeah. it's spiky yeah. this I read this and that's Clark Kent he's big and bulky and he's got glasses and the, the spit curl and he's <laughs> he's just gone for the the, the moustache disguise yeah. the Freddie Mercury look yeah yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah okay and then oh it's just Bruce Wayne yeah there isn't actually much physical difference between John John Byrne it's Arthur Adams here isn't it but the post-crisis it depiction quite of Bruce John Byrne at times yeah well, but Arthur Adams also has a Somebody else's work reminds me of. Is it Michael Golden? I don't know. His work reminds me of. He reminds me of somebody else. I like Arthur Adams' stuff. And it's he, he was very, very slow, so he never really got a monthly gig or anything. Mm. Yeah, the stranger who rolls up in town is Bruce Wayne. I wonder if that was a deliberate fake-out. It's Could action be. comics. He's got the glasses. He's got the spit curl. Yeah, I'd, I'd wonder if it was so a you're deliberate. Yeah, going, he's going to be Superman. But yeah, no, it's, it's going to just... be Superman, and then it, it doesn't turn out. And I like the line. I forgot they forgot to buy calendars around nineteen fifty eight. Mm. That was a funny line. I like that. Um, once you get past the this isn't Superman, it looks like Ben Affleck. Okay. Do you not think? No. Do really. you not see Ben Affleck there? I see a little bit of Ben Affleck. I see, in there. Um, especially the chin. A bit of the guy who's in Supernatural and now I'm Walking Dead. Which guy who's in Supernatural? Oh, Dean Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Morgan. Yeah, he looks like him to me. All right, okay. No, that's fair enough. He does a bit. He does have a Jeffrey Dean Morgan look. I like the really forced um, sexism in the, the, the cafe diner bit where she's being really polite and then there's that one panel of that guy going, don't you have dishes to clean? And that's it. That goes nowhere. It has no purpose to be in there. Yeah, and how does that make Bruce... Suspicious that vampire activity is going on. Just no idea. <laughs> I, I love the line as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as Bruce thinks about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do we know he's thinking through yeah. the art? Oh no. Well, that's better than now. They just put two H's. Have you not said uh, that? Oh, yeah. I hate that. Mm. So I prefer mm-hmm, even though it kind of telegraphs it. <laughs> yeah. I prefer that to. <laughs> which just sounds like he's doing a bad Elvis impression. <laughs> He should be rubbing his chin in that panel, though. <laughs> he, sh- he should be. Rub- mm. Rubbing his fake beard. Something is a something is afoot. <laughs> <laughs> um, Adams' art's pretty magnificent throughout the story. Yeah, I like, it's I a like, great panel of Batman, though. 
Yeah, the the shot of Batman on the top of the corner piece and Pedulem. Out, he, he looks out of place when he's just hunched over small little streets and buildings in a small town like Well, this. I think that's that's also one of the points of the story, isn't it? That Batman Batman calls Superman in hmm. because he's, he's kind of realising he's out of his depth here. Yeah. He doesn't really know how to handle small town problems. Hmm. It's a very I, Frank Miller panel. There are some very Frank Miller panels in this. Yeah, page 12 is very Frank Miller. Um, all of it. Yeah. The, the underlighting. When you've got the shot of him from underneath, that's very Frank Miller. There's a little bit of McFarlane in it as well. Well, there are similar schools, aren't there? Are they? Because, um, I mean, I presume that's coincidence, because I looked it up on Mike's Amazing World. McFarlane's run on Detective was happening why this was happening. Right. So there's, it's not a case of he's seen McFarlane's work and gone, oh, unless he's seen it in the studio. Mm. But they were both drawing them simultaneously, so it's probably more that McFarlane was influenced by Frank Miller. And yeah. Arthur Adams was influenced by Frank Miller. So they've both got to the same place, but from different directions. This mm. is probably what it is. And I like the low-key nature of it. Yeah. Like you say, Batman's out of his depth here, although there are a couple of bats. Vampire bats. Which are very good. Yeah. They're very possibly, yeah. He is out of his depth in, in, in small town USA. And I like that when he's attacked by the mob he basically gets away by dropping a gas grenade and running off yeah like nowadays he'd have broke a few heads or back grappled out the way and he would have just been effortlessly cool wouldn't he here he's more concerned about hurting anyone so he just gets the hell out of dodge as quickly as possible Mm. and i think that's why he phones superman He's not used to handling this kind of thing in small town. If this was in Gotham, he'd have no problem. Yeah. He'd be fine. He wouldn't have needed Superman at all. I do think that Superman's a bit unnecessary in this story. It's it's an issue of action comics, but Superman doesn't do anything. Yeah, ultimately Superman shows up and he learns all of the information that Batman learns, but again... From a different viewpoint. I mean, I, I read that as the different approaches between Batman and Superman. Yeah, Superman's more comfortable and people are more comfortable around him. Yeah, Batman shows up and he's all clandestine and stealthy. Yeah. And learns what he needs to know. And Superman shows up and just walks straight into the sheriff's office. Yeah. And says, hey, you okay, I'm Superman. Uh, how are you? It's mm. nice to meet you, Sheriff uh, Mooney. Uh, how are you doing? What's going on? And Sheriff Mooney, or whatever his name is, just instantly says, oh yeah, we've got a vampire problem. Yeah. He just opens up to Superman straight away, which I like. I, th- I thought that was really cool. Mm. Because the, the civilians attack Batman because they think he's a vampire. Yeah. Which was neat. Because mm. Batman, 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 Batman has these vampiric tendencies to his costume and his yeah. approach. And he only comes out at night. And that's been exploited in other stories before. Uh, more Millerisms, the way he draws Superman leaving. It's all in black, apart from the S and the cape. Yeah. So that's nice. Nice use of blacks. Uh, Batman calls Clark Kent at the Daily Planet, and he asks him to call Superman. Haven't they figured out each other's secret identity at this point? Did Did they not figure out each other's secret in Man of Steel 3? Maybe it was just, like, Batman's being safe. Right. He doesn't know who's going to answer the phone or who's going to be around Clark. Mm. So it's just... But then why would he think to himself, hope Kent can reach him in time? Oh, yeah. I'm sure they figured out each other's secret in Man of Steel 3. Am I misremembering that? Maybe. Just not. Mm. 
It's I mean, this possible. is set back in the early days. Well, the, the, yeah, but it's it must still be after Man of Steel three because Man of Steel three was where they first met each other in post crisis continuity. Yeah. This may be the second time they've met, mm. but still they've met. And I thought, I thought, it doesn't really matter in terms of the story. Um, Then Skeeter meets Batman. She hugs him. Why then does she think that he's a vampire? Would she not have have body heat? Vampires don't have body heat. Don't know. Heartbeat? Mm. Because he's just done lots of exercise. He's just jumped off a telegraph pole. Yeah. So his heart will be beating quite a lot. So I didn't get that. Unless that's just a minor plot hole that I'm just not supposed to think about. I guess. All right, fair enough. Uh, Adams takes a peculiar artistic tack with Batman as well. He doesn't draw him with the the white lenses. He draws him with no pupils. Yeah, because he shows the the skin around his eyes, doesn't he? So that that was really weird to me. Yeah. Because you're kind of used to Batman having white eyes in the comics. And he does in some panels. But it's kind of like in the films... That's pretty much what he's wearing. And in the films, he kind of puts like eyeshadow around yeah, his puts, eyes to, to blacken them. Yeah, he puts the black makeup around, doesn't so, he? So I guess he's just doing that. Only Batman's not put any makeup on. Yeah, all right, fair enough. But then you've got lots of panels, like on page 22 and 23, where he's clearly got the white lenses in. Yeah. So that was, I don't know, if continuity goof or whatever. Um, and he draws Superman with a massive Mount Rushmore tr- chin. Mm. You could shelter from the rain under that thing, couldn't you? <laughs> So that's, head, little face. Yeah, and he doesn't really differentiate much between Superman and Batman's body types. Mm. And they both have massive chins. I think Superman's chin is slightly bigger than Batman's. Yeah. It's Ben Affleck. Batman's chin. more square, whereas Superman's is out a bit. Mm. Superman's is Ed McGuinness, isn't it? Yeah. Superman's got an Ed McGuinness chin. Skeeter twigs that Batman isn't a vampire when he says, Good Lord. When was that a part of vampire mythology? That just by taking the Lord's name in vain... I'm assuming it's just the fear of religion. You think? Yeah. All right, fair enough. Which does beg the question. Vampire tales assume the existence of demons. Oh, is this what you were asking about? The yeah, so right. your yin and yang of that is there must be existence of a higher power or at the very least angels, which yes. is what Supernatural's been dealing with for what feels like 40 years. Mm. If an atheist got bit by a vampire, would the cross and holy water work on them? Yeah. Why? Because it's the demon that's afraid of it. And it's the demon that takes well, possession of the that, body. Well, not just but surely by the existence of vampires means there is an existence of higher power, which means that things like a cross and holy water would be just as lethal to it. Yeah, but you're assuming that mankind, when presented with evidence yeah. to the contrary <laughs> of their belief, would change their mind. Okay. Whereas... Everything I've seen in the past year would lead me to believe that's not necessarily true. Mm. Did you see this week? Just like how if, if if you believe to heaven, you'll go to heaven, but if you don't, then you won't. Yeah. Just that. Well, more, more a case of did you see this week on Australian television. Right, okay. Professor Brian Cox right. was invited to debate with a climate change denier, senator, politician, or whatever. Okay. And he basically said, I don't believe that. I want to see refutable evidence. And Brian Cox said, I brought graphs. Right. And the guy still refused to believe what Brian Cox was showing him. Mm. He had graphs yeah. from scientists. Yeah. So, if I was, if if anybody was bitten by a vampire that didn't believe, the presence of the demon in their body would surely have them go, "Wait a minute." Or if it's just how 
that that holy water really hurts, but I don't believe that it's it's lethal to me. Well, you it, can't not believe it if it if is, it's hurting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So if you're stood on that ice that that iceberg going, I don't believe in climate change, and I'll spell <laughs> potato any way I want, then you can't you can't not deny it when it's happening to you. Yes. Yes. And yet. Yeah. Refer to the exhibit a yeah. that I just pointed out. So I just thought that was an interesting question. If an atheist got bit by a vampire, would would holy water and a cross mean anything to them? Mm. Uh, and I think I, I think they did address that in Buffy, because right. I think Buffy established that the demon now controls the body, and the demon believes because, like you say, the demon, yeah, ergo existence of God, existence of angels, existence of a yin to the yang, yeah. So now the demon is in possession of the body. Your religious persuasion is irrelevant. Mm. They believe. So the vampire is a being inside you, the host. Yeah, and the vampire is Christian, evidently. Okay. That adds a, a, a new layer of complicated to vampires, which is a bit unnecessary. That was the Buffy explanation right, for okay. it. Because the Buffy, obviously, they wanted to establish that you could re-soul somebody so they could tell the right. whole Angelus story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, you know... Basically, vampires ain't real. Yeah. So you can add any layers to the mythology that you so desire. Yeah. You don't even have to follow Bram Stoker if you don't want. Mm. I mean, there's again, there's another line in Buffy, isn't there? Where Spike says, bloody Bram Stoker wrote that novel and suddenly everyone knows how to kill us. Yeah. Which I thought was genius line. So Bram Stoker's Dracula exists as a book in the Buffy in the Buffyverse. Yeah. So I thought that was quite funny. Anyway, all right, that, was, that was just something that came to me while I was reading this. Because I did have that whole other thing of if a vampire bit Superman and he gets his power from yellow sun, would it affect the vampire? But your mum completely slapped me down on that one. So we're not even going to address it. (laughs) Uh, Did you think Skeeter changed age, depending on what page it was? Um, Do you not think she looks a lot older on page 27 than she did at the beginning of the book? I don't know. I didn't know. She looks... I don't know. See, I got she was only supposed to be about 15 or 16. Throughout it, she looks more and more not human. More and more demonic. Until it gets to the point where she's quite messed up in the last couple of Yeah, couple oh, of no. so maybe that's a deliberate thing, though. Yeah. I guess. Okay, fair enough. I do like that she's always surrounded by bats. Yeah. That was a lovely touch. That, that was quite cute. Uh, Superman stops all of the people that have been... What, what happened with these people here? They were all in, in hospital. Yeah. You get the distinct impression from Superman, <clears throat> excuse me, looking at them, that they're dead. Mm. But then he later says that they're undead. So under vampire law, I can still save them. Yeah. How did that work? I don't know. So, I'd, so these were enslaved by her. They hadn't been bitten by her. So maybe she just done the mind whammy yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. All right, okay, fair enough. But then, aren't they all dead at the end? No, Superman saves them all. The no, ones that are all dead at the end, Batman goes back to Gotham. Because oh, right, okay. he's talking to yeah. Jim Gordon. So Skeeter killed the people in Gotham. All these people... So why then does Superman have that reaction at the bottom of page 24 that implies that they're all dead? Or is that not it? Is he just got a bunch of turned people though, and he's got all those guns because he's afraid they're gonna wake up as vampires? But I didn't get Superman's horrified reaction there if they're all still alive. Maybe he's just horrified because he's like, "Bugger, vampires are real." <laughs> or he's bloody hell, how many are there? Yeah, I, right. I suppose, I suppose you have a similar reaction if you just found out vampires are real. Yeah, but if you're also a being, but if you're a, also an from alien from the planet, planet Krypton, yeah, vampires may not be that big of a stretch. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, you do want to have. I did want to see where Superman's like. I can't believe vampires are real. And, I can't believe Kryptonians are real. And, and have Batman at the side of him, so says the alien from the planet Krypton. Yeah, that would have been funny. I would have laughed at that. I can't believe that you can use your grappling hook and not break your arms. <laughs> Suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Uh, right. So Superman catches all these guys by creating a wall of hard earth around them. Yeah. What is hard earth? It's, uh, is that a genuine scientific concept, do you think? I don't know. <laughs> what's, what's wind? Is that not hard-ish? Uh, uh, well, yeah, but we don't use wind. Hard science, it's a real thing. We don't use... Oh, uh, guns. We don't use wind to... Like a wall. We don't put a wall ever, of wind. I suppose, have you ever had it on a really windy day and it's going right towards you and you struggle to walk yeah, into it? Is, is it that, not just that? Is that what he's done? He's, he's, just, just, he's just made a gust around them. That, they, that he's so powerful that they can't move. Yeah. For science. <laughs> All right, for, I'll just accept that. <laughs> yeah. I'll just, it, that's easier, in, isn't it? In a it? story about Kryptonians and vampires, it's the harder you're struggling it's with. The, yes, <laughs> it is actually. <laughs> I have no problem believing the existence of Kryptonians. Yeah. I have no problem believing the existence of vampires. I have no problem with Batman. Right. But hard er. Yeah. That was that was too much for me. That was what the what's harder? <laughs> I mean, really. But then again, the Flash drank hard water, didn't he? The Golden Is that Age not Flash. Ice? Yes. <laughs> the Flash drank ice, yeah. and that gave him superpowers. Now, weirdly, right. that never works for me when I drink ice. I've become Iceman. Yeah, well, I, I didn't become anything. I just became cold. So, Cold Man. <laughs> Captain Cold. <laughs> um, Batman lets us know that you can swim in quicksand, because that's how he survives um, being trapped in the quicksand, in the swamps. Uh, which is true. It's factually yeah. correct that you, you can survive in, in quicksand by doing that if you swim slowly. But Batman also did this in Castle to, with Wall to Wall Danger in Detective Comics issue 329. Okay. Because uh, that's where I remember first reading that you can survive in quicksand. Right. In that issue of, of Batman. Um, Little bit deliverance. Right. Uh, little bit hammer horror. Little bit Twilight Zone. This is nevertheless an incredibly enjoyable and fun issue. Stellar artwork by Art Allen's. Reading it now, I was really surprised by how little Superman and Batman actually work together in this story. Yeah. They're in the same place at the same time, working on the same case, but from, from different angles. Mm. And they're not actually working together. They only really meet up at the end. As such, it's not a traditional team-up. But I did like that this wasn't a misunderstanding that brought them together that then they had a fight over. Yeah. Batman actually calls Clark and says, Hey, you want to send Superman? Mm. I need you to be bait. <laughs> and Clark said, Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> that's what Clark does. Um, it's fun, despite there being no additional features for an annual, which I was very disappointed in. Yeah. Was the pinups and, <laughs> you know, text pieces. and There's none. Mm. I was very disappointed by that. Other than that, though, good solid, good solid story. Great art, good story. Really liked it. Really yeah. liked the way the two characters work together. Do what you did you think? think? That, um, I really enjoyed it, and I thought Superman not ruined it. But if it was a Batman story, it could have been a really good horror story with Batman. Mm. Whereas the inclusion of Superman made it an enjoyable superhero book. Yeah, they could have done it much better as a supernatural horror story. With just Batman. With just Batman in it. The inclusion of Superman makes it, well, super. Yeah. 
And, and I that don't, takes I, that horror I, element I don't disagree it. with you. Superman, Superman doesn't really do anything. No. Batman solves the mystery. Yeah. Batman kills Skeeter. I mean, as you can argue, Superman rounds up all of the people that were in the ward. Mm. But once Batman kills Skeeter, they revert back to normal anyway, don't it's they? It's got a really cool setup with the the mentally broken vampire girl mm. and the the angry mob and the townspeople who are justified in their anger for yeah. once. That yeah, and, he flips the goodies and the baddies, and, and Batman being mistaken for a vampire mm. and all that really horror stuff. But the second Superman's in it, it's I will create hard wind around hard wind around these brainwashed uh, uh, vampires and. Yeah, I don't disagree with it, but it's a fun superhero story. But then you get Superman out of the way and you got the really chilling ending as yeah, well. Yeah, where Batman's going around staking all the people that were killed in Gotham. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I'd actually, yeah. Good, though. Hmm. Let's let's get that out, though. We're not dissing on it. It's a very enjoyable issue that perhaps would have worked better as a solo Batman versus Vampire story. Yeah. Yeah, especially small town Batman who hasn't got a clue what he's doing mm. uh, in that town. Out he's, of his depth. Yeah, out of his depth, out of his comfort zone. Yeah. All right, good, enjoyable, though. Yeah. Uh, Batman and Superman pose dramatically on the cover of our next pick, The Batman Adventures, issue 25. This was the first time the animated Batman met the animated Superman. In fact, the animated Superman doesn't actually exist yet. Right. As of the publication Is that why you reflect... The current Superman yeah. with the mullet. Yeah, the longer. It's not. I will give you that on that cover it does look like a mullet. Yeah, I, I have long hair and it's long at the front and it's long at the back. Yeah, Mike Parabek. Like what Superman has is short at the front and long at the back. I will give you that on the cover of this particular comic book, Batman Adventures <laughs> 25, it does look like a mullet. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> but it does. Right. Doesn't it? Yeah. Anyway, we're moving swiftly on. Um, Broken into three acts, Super Friends was a double-sized issue by Kelly Puckett, Mike Parabek, and Rick Burkett. Cover's not not really much to say about the cover, is it? Batman and Superman stand arms folded side to side, Superman's grinning, Batman's looking pissed off, as Mm. usual. I like the return of the Superman squinty eyes. I loved that this was Jerry Siegel's Superman. Yeah. I, I was a big fan of that as well. Does Batman look taller, though, than Superman? Yes, he does. I think he does as well. Hmm. When did they start doing that? I always thought Superman was taller than He's Batman. standing on his tippy toes. Yeah. <laughs> He's got lifts in his yeah. boots because he knew he was going to meet Whenever Superman. Whenever he got Superman, he puts his big, big yeah. boots on. <laughs> he puts his big boy pants on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gets his extra, extra longer horns. <laughs> lifts in his boots, extra long horns on the mask, please, yeah. Alfred. No. Ah, meeting Master Bruce, Mr. I'll... Master Clark again, are we, sir? I love the, the Kelly Jones cowl today, I think. <laughs> Ah, meeting Superman, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, the story for this one. Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent are at a military dinner where Bruce and Lex Luthor are both in the frame to provide a military contract. Bruce's contract is far more humanistic than Lex's. However, Bruce and Clark both notice suspicious behaviour and react as Batman and Superman, clearing out a bomb and capturing the would-be bombers. Apparently, this was all a plot by Maxi Zeus to extort Gotham. Superman and Batman track Maxi down, as does, purely coincidentally, I'm sure, the subject of Lex's military contract, Lex Corp's Hunter Seekers. They seem to spend more time attacking Superman, letting him smash up a few robots, as that's never not fun. Batman apprehends Zeus as he tries to contact his mysterious benefactor, Hepaf... Hepaf... Hep, what? Hephaestus? Hephaestus? Something like that. Who turns out to be Lex. Kel surprise. 
Batman blackmails Lex into giving up the contract, and he tells Superman Wayne Tech will do the same. Uh, first thing about this comic book is how magnificently, gloriously clean and crisp the art is. I think the art's gorgeous in this book. Hmm. Feel free to agree or disagree. No, I think it's... I thought the art in this was better than in the Supergirl, the Batgirl issue we covered last week. Even though it's the same guys? Yeah. Well, you've also got to... He's been doing it now for 25 issues. So it's about a year after. Yeah, so it's a year or so after the last issue, yeah. So he's developed a lot more as an artist. I think the art's in this brilliant. Mm. I love the art I did think that that bad guy was Alfred, though, at first. Yeah. Yeah, that's understandable. He does look a little bit Alfred. Um, I do... I love the panel work as we go through the first bit where you get the art telling a lot of the stories. 300, I can't count that I... It's fun. It's lots of little funny dialogue in this. So you see that the thugs here are taking over, uh, knocking out the the original yeah. people who should have been working as waiters. And there's a guy watching a stopwatch and all of that subtle stuff going on just in the artwork. Lex is a glorious asshole to Bruce when they meet on page three. Yeah. And they shake hands. And Lex shakes Bruce's hands and crushes it. Mm. Which is a brilliant bit because Bruce is like, I so want to break your nose. <laughs> I, like, I like that it's ginger Lex Luthor. Yeah. With the beard. Yeah. So, again, from the current continuity in the comics as opposed to the animated series. What I also liked about that is setting up the end. Yeah. When Batman shakes Lex's hand. And he breaks and it. And he pretty much breaks every bone in it, which is fun. This scene here reminded me a lot like the Batman versus Superman one. Yeah. Where With Lex is Bruce very... And Clark Clark, and Lex and the... Bruce Wayne. Yeah, only this, <laughs> is, <laughs> this is Lex Luthor and not annoying. <laughs> <laughs> this is Lex Luthor and not Max Landis. Yeah. Yeah. This is who it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, page four is especially good uh, at what we've just talked about of, of the art telling a, a slightly complementary and different story to what the dialogue is telling you. Yeah. The dialogue is explaining the plot, mm. explaining the reason for this dinner that Lex, Core, and Wayne Tech both have uh, a bid in for this military contract. Clark is there to report on this military contract. Yeah. But the 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 art is showing us that Bruce and Clark have both spotted that something is going up. Yeah, something's wrong. The dialogue is telling you the backstory. The art's progressing the story. Yeah. So you so you've got that brilliant bit where Bruce is spotting the guy sweating, and constantly looking around the room now to see what's going on. And you've got that great bit where Clark then hears the tick tick of the bomb. Mm. So the pair of them know something's awry. Yeah. And I love that that's all going on while they're having this conversation that's completely different. Yeah. And it's Parabex art that's selling that. That's that's what I mean about the, the art being clean and crisp. There's facial expression. There's not a lot going on in Parabex line work. Mm. Yeah, every line that is there yeah. totally sells it. I love it. I absolutely love this. Always on the job as well, Bruce Wayne, which I thought was a nice touch. So Batman and Superman take off. Superman grabs the bomb. Of course, sort of saves the day because he's Superman. Takes it into the atmosphere. Uh, it's Batman, though, who's effortlessly cool. Yes. He chases the crooks out into the street. I don't know what page it is because the, the page numbers mysteriously disappear on page eight, which is what it is. Batman leaps through a car. 
Yeah, but he it, didn't just do that though. He kind of flips and pulls the two guys in one window out the net. Yeah, in the back window. Yeah, grabs the two guys, takes them out the front window, and then smacks. No, them he's to the he's floor. jumping into the front window. Oh yeah, so he is. He jumps through the front window and out so the he's back, jumping yes. into an oncoming car. Yes, he is because he's Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, that page is cool. Yeah. I absolutely adore that page. I absolutely adore they did that. And then Superman shows them and just kicks the car. Mm. And they go flying out the windshield. <laughs> oh, and look at this. Superman and Batman working as a team. <laughs> yeah. That's nice, isn't it? It is. Isn't that lovely? Uh, again, squinty-eyed Superman. Always brilliant. Maxi Zeus is wonderfully insane in this film. What do you think of Maxi Zeus? I, you don't see much of him, but he's he's great in this. He always makes me think of King Tut from the Batman TV show. Right. He's slightly obsessed with ancient Greece. Yeah. And he talks like he's from ancient Greece. And his schemes are always slightly dumb. But it's it's great because I think he only works if you play him big and loud. Yes. And if you, Brian Blessed should yeah. play Maxi Zeus. I don't think he could work anymore. In in an era where everything has to be dark and gritty and mentally broken, mm. you can't just have a big, loud bad guy who's a little bit dumb, yeah, but still a bit of a threat because he's not, of his dumbness. And what's great is he's not just some guy pretending to be Zeus. No, he thinks he is. He thinks he is. Which again goes to King Tut yeah. from the the TV show. So yeah, I I like Maxi Zeus because as portrayed in this, yeah, he's not really a threat for Superman and Batman. Didn't even say that in this. Yeah. He's not a threat, but if he says it, he probably means it. Yeah. Are we supposed to take him seriously? He's completely insane, but Maxie doesn't doesn't bluff. Yeah. So that's quite cool. Gordon's right. Maxie doesn't have the brains, the money, or the technology for this. That's That was great. Mm. So Batman's already... He's just a front man. Yeah. Batman's already figured that out for somebody else behind the scenes. Mm. So that's World's Greatest Detective. Yes. And I, I love that. I do like how Batman's intimidated by Superman flying. Yeah. I will see, you, you do get the impression that Batman's looking at him going, gee, what could I do with all those powers? Mm. Which plays into the next issue that we're going to talk about, doesn't it? Yeah. Which Joe Kelly kind of leaps upon. I also loved as well that when the robots attack at the end, that... Um, Lex's robots attack Superman. And he plays it off as an accident. He plays it off. Well, he's a prototype. <laughs> and, you know, maybe Superman's not human. Maybe they just just thought he was the enemy. And you're like, yeah. All right, Lex. Yeah. Totally. So that's my only problem with this, is that it's pretty signposted from the get-go that Lex has set all of this up. There's not re- that's not really a surprise, I is it, I suppose. But maybe but I, I, I really like I'm totally a good guy, Lex Luthor. <laughs> Honest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wink, wink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, then Batman figures it all out, because that's what Batman does. I like Batman confronting Lex on his own, yeah. and then saying to Superman, what I did wasn't illegal, mm. but I don't think you'd approve. Yeah. So I thought that was quite a nice touch. And of course, we get them, again, the page numbers disappear on page 27 and don't come back for the last three pages. But Batman shakes hands with Lex at the end in front of Commissioner Gordon and pricks his wrist. Mm. Kind of, almost, sort of. Which I thought was a lovely callback. Uh, Simple but effective. 
because it's the Batman Adventures. This was a wonderful book from start to finish. All of the Mike Parabek stuff is great, and this is a great issue of a great series. The story sets out to tell a story, does it well, the art's gorgeous, it's all wrapped up nicely at the end, it's one issue, everything's set up, everything paid off, Batman and Superman are clearly on good terms, even if they are just as clearly very different men with different MOs, and they work together exceptionally well. A very underrated Superman-Batman team-up, Yeah, in my humble opinion. What did you think? I, I enjoyed it. I liked it. It was it was a super friends approach to the story. Yeah, which you is don't the fight title each other and then put the differences aside nope. for a greater good. They're not antagonistic. They're nope. just mates. Yeah, not perhaps best of mates. Not friends, but but certainly friendly acquaintances. Yeah, which works exceptionally well. Uh, unlike Action Comics Annual Number One, this being the twenty fifth issue, which when did twenty five become special? It's Other hard, than nowadays, it's, it's when Marvel Marvel doesn't reach twenty five. No, yes. it, it is special when they reach 25 yeah. because it's not oh, we've got 25 issues without going to number one yeah let's reboot it yeah um, Batman Adventures pin up section Alex Toff doesn't look particularly Batman Adventures-y mm. Dave Gibbons doesn't look particularly Batman Adventures-y the, the Batman looks a bit Adventures-y yeah it's alright I suppose nothing wrong with it I do like the yin and yang symbol in the background yeah in, oh, in case the differences weren't sorted well enough <laughs> Kelly Jones. Kelly Jones is really adventuresy. Yeah, oddly. Yeah. While still looking like Kelly Jones. Yeah. But the Joker and the Penguin, they're really cartoon. Yeah. But his Batman is still Kelly Jones. That's a really good one. While still looking adventuresy with the Kelly Jones yeah. keeping. Very strange yeah. how he's pulled that off. That's, it's really good, that one. Fair play to him. Uh, Kevin Nolan as Killer Croc about to break Batman's back in the sewers. That's all right, isn't it? It's not adventures. It looks a bit stiff and boring. Yeah. Um, Mark Chiarello as Batman chained up with his rogues gallery behind him. The rogues gallery looks very Batman-y. Yeah. adventures Ad- Batman adventures yeah. And Mike Mignola as Mr. Freeze frees Batman in some snow. Looks like Mag Mignola. Yeah. Doesn't it? So, and it's good. And Chuck Dixon drew one mm. with Rick Burkett. That was weird. Yeah. That Chuck Dixon was an artist. That's pretty cool. Batman's chained to a train? or a, No, they're on a boat, aren't they? Yeah, it looks like a battleship. Yeah, they're on a battleship. Robin's rescuing him. The Joker and the Riddler are shaking hands and the Joker's slipping some dynamite in the Riddler's pocket. Yeah. That's quite funny. I like that. Oh, and the Riddler's about to stab Joker in the back. So he is. Do you know, I had not noticed that. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. Uh, always had a good letters page in this book where you could win um, a page of art from this issue. Right. Every month. Or a, a sketch by um, Mike Powerback, which is... Uh, I should have wrote a letter just to try and get <laughs> on. Because now, sadly, Mike Powerback is no longer with us. Mm. And uh, this issue is dedicated to Neil Posner, who died of AIDS on June 21st of the year this was published, which was, as we've said, 1994. Neil Posner was mentioned in an interview recently with uh, Phil Jimenez. Right. As uh, being one of the guys that gave Phil Jimenez his start in comics. Right. So he's uh, forever grateful to him. So that was nice as well, because mm. he's just started doing Superman, Superman Superwoman, Woman. which was great. Really good read. Really enjoyed Superwoman issue one. And we really enjoyed Batman Adventures issue 25, did we not? We did. So that was really good. So we'll throw that one to one side as we start to look at the final comic for tonight. One of the things that made the post-crisis Superman and Batman relationship work was they didn't work together all that often. They weren't members of the JLA together. There was no regular team-up title between the two of them. 
That all ended in October of 2003 with the debut of Superman Batman, a new regular monthly book that saw the two mismatched heroes cross paths and words on a consistent basis. The Superman Batman annuals followed the pattern of the old DC Comics Presents annuals in that they were standalone adventures separate from the stories told in the main book. They tended to update old stories for contemporary readers, an often overused trope nowadays and something I feel has actually held comics back. One that did work, however, was Superman Batman Annual Number 2, The Unexamined Life by Joe Kelly and Scott Collins, a reimagining of World's Finest 178 from September 1968. Uh, the cover has the villain of the piece, Mr. Socrates, who looks like a skeleton with a beard and Yoda ears, electrocuting Superman, so he looks all desiccated and skinny, as Batman and Robin try to leap in and help him. Did you like that cover? I had it's going to be fun, this one, because you're not the biggest Scott Collins fan in I'm, the world, I'm not, you? whereas I quite like Scott Collins. And the art and the cover don't change my mind. All right, fair enough. The Man Who Stole Superman's Powers is on the cover, as being the title. Uh, in the issue, that's not the title, so, so that was slightly confusing. A mysterious new player named Mr. Socrates has arrived on the scene and is stealing people's futures by causing them to question their true nature. When Superman and Batman, who were at Wayne Manor discussing this new superhero club, the Justice League, arrive in Gotham to prevent the populace from gutting each other over three truckloads of crashed cash, Mr. Socrates gets under the Man of Steel's skin with his questions. Confuddled, Superman is also distracted by an astrodite about to crash into Gotham. He flies into it, but then isn't seen for weeks. Bruce tracks Clark to Smallville, where he's been hiding out since the incident which Bruce learns robbed Clark of his powers. With Metropolis going to hell in a handcart, Batman invents an exoskeleton suit to enable him to protect the city for a while, just long enough for Bruce to train Clark so he continue with his crime fighting. As this is going on, Bruce is also engaging with Mr. Socrates, trying to become his latest victim and thus track him down. Superman makes his debut as Supernova, but the Joker proves more than he can handle at this stage, but Bruce tells him he needed to face that threat, as no amount of training can prepare him for facing death. Anyway, he needs it. Mr. Socrates has finally agreed to meet Bruce Wayne. The confrontation between the two does not go well, with Bruce reeling from Socrates' power and suffering a mini-stroke. Supan arrives. Apparently facing his fears was all he needed to do and he manages to destroy Mr. Socrates. With this particular adventure over, Superman and Batman return to discussing this Justice League thing. Very simplistic synopsis though. I think I should have rewritten that one, to be honest with you. Because uh, the story opens with Superman move it, getting rid of those astrodites. Yeah. That are, so they don't just show up randomly. Mm. And uh, he's got Lois with him. Because she's presumably reporting on these asteroids that are going to hit the Earth and presumably destroy it. Um, are we to assume that from this beginning that Superman hurls them out of the atmosphere so he thinks he's got rid of them? Are we to assume that by flirting with Lois Lane he didn't do a proper job? I guess, yeah. Is that what you got from it? Because he was too busy kind of, ah, Lois, you're cute. No, I didn't get that, but it works. Alright, okay. Because otherwise the Astrodite does come back for no reason. Yeah. So I read into it that he, he got rid of most of them, whatever the hell an astrodite is. Hmm. Uh, but one he didn't throw far enough, and it came back into the atmosphere because he was too busy, you know, holding Lois's hand. Here's my Clark hand, Clark. Hold yeah. it. That kind of thing was going on. The title's really clever. 
the unexamined life. The villain, Mr. Socrates, mm-hmm. Greek. Yeah, and Plato. Yeah, and Plato. Full quote is, the unexamined life is not worth living, which discusses not only looking at your own life and, and seeing your choices that you've made and examining it and analysing it, but Socrates, is, it was his reaction to choosing a noble death. Yeah. So I thought the title was really quite good mm. in this particular one. It didn't need Batman at the end saying the unexamined life isn't worth living. Or was yeah. it Mr. Socrates that said that? One of them says that at the end, doesn't he? <laughs> Either way, it did, neither one of them really needed to say it. I can't, even though I can't tell who's saying it. Can you? Yeah, Socrates. All right, okay. So either way, yeah, didn't really need saying, to be honest. Um, I like the art. Scott Collins is art. I think the colouring's god-awful. Mm. I think the colouring's really dark and muddy. George Molina did the colouring on it, and I think it actually ruins the artwork. Right. Scott Collins is only quite bright and open. I certainly was on his flash. Whereas on this, I said to you when I was reading it, didn't I? On page three, which introduces Batman, mm. I didn't even notice what the hell was going on at first. Because it was just so bleh. Yeah. What did you think? No, I, just, I don't know. Uh, is it painted? No, it's digital. Because it looks crap. Yeah. The colouring looks awful. Like the page three, four with Superman. It looks dreadful. I mean, it's probably early computer colouring. Yeah. So I would hope that if DC republishes, they still recolour it. Because the colouring job in this is just that, off. That introductory credit double page spread though is kind of everything all the problems I've had with this title just on one page though why one of the things I got really really bored of when Mm. Jeff Loeb did it and Joe Kelly did it and I got bored of it on this book Mm. was when you have the Superman and Batman's monologuing like you know one after the other and they keep taking it in turns and it's just uh, I'm Clark Kent I grew up on a farm I'm Batman my parents were killed every (laughs) single time and they do it and they do it here as well. It's let's have a let's have a panel of Superman going. I really like life, and I'm bright and colourful. Let's have a dark picture of Batman going. I beat up bad guys. My life sucks. And I live in the dirt yeah, and the mire. Yeah. I live in the sewer. You live in the sky. Yeah, and it's every single time. Every, pretty much every issue of this I've read has the same formula, the same thought bubbles, and that. And it's boring uh i don't disagree with you that's yeah. the thing i do do not disagree with you jeff Loeb did this book he had a story 25 26 issues however many he did mm. he told that story yeah and yes he did use this trick batman's monologue superman's internal monologue going all the, all the yeah. way through it and it's neat at first but yeah i felt it worked for Loeb. Yeah. i felt it worked for him I felt that when a new writer came on after Jeff Loeb left, two things happened to the book. One, the people that came on it had no direction for the book other than tell a six-issue story so we can trade paperback it. Yeah. That's not a good reason for telling a story, just Mm. so you've got a bunch of trade paperbacks. And secondly, they all followed Loeb's format for the book, which was this monologue in between the two of them. I don't think they should have done that. I agree with you. Loeb did that. Mm. The next writer on should have said, no, I'm getting rid of that. Yeah. Because, yeah, Lo- it played out when Loeb did it. Well, and by the time you get other people doing it, it reads pastiche. It's, it's not kind of that. I guess it's I, I guess it's the formula for the book. Yeah. Regardless of who's on it, it's it's the book's formula. Mm. But it's every time someone new came on it or they told a new story or a story, they have to repeat the introductory yeah. thing. Yeah, I, don't, I completely don't disagree with it. I mean, for the most part, Joe Kelly's dialogue in this is very funny and it's on point Kelly, yeah. and very good. 
and his flirty interplay between Superman and Lois in the first couple of pages is pretty sweet. But yeah, the hard-boiled Batman monologue is almost funny in how over-the-top it is. Should Should we do some? I am all the dark things ever belched up from the guts of this stinking city. The screams, the burns, the cuts, the bruises, terror and the gleeful laughs that come right before the gunshots. I am one of the wealthiest men on the planet and one of its greatest liars. The mask I wore for the world is pristine, adorned with pretty baubles, fast cars and photogenic women. I'm a little boy kneeling beside two twitching mounds that were once my mother and father, every night in dreams. I watched the love and life I took for granted drip down a sewer drain with their blood. And then it's followed up with Batman saying, Shut up. Yeah. I wonder, though, was he talking to himself? <laughs> yeah. it's You read that and suddenly a Batman song from the Lego movie doesn't <laughs> seem that that funny anymore. No. Darkness. <laughs> Black coffee. <laughs> Dead parents. Do you know that that Lego movie Batman may be the best interpretation <laughs> yeah, of Batman it's not, it's not on wrong, cinema though, screen we've yeah. ever seen? Yeah, no, it's not. It's, it's accurate. Yeah, it's complete. Yeah, that that introduction is is well over the top. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree. With it's you. it's it's all star Frank Miller writing. Yes, yeah, it's it's hard boiled dialogue taken to the nth to level. the nth level. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. And like we said, the, the astrodites are already set up. Um, I will be honest. They bring down whoever this guy is at the beginning. He's, he's tangentially related to the story. And we turn the page and we learn Mr. Socrates' plan is he has people he has people analyse themselves through him. He's like a self-help guru, isn't he? Yeah. But then they take that to the nth degree and they can't actually stop mm. once they realise what their purpose is. So yeah, I thought just... that was really cool and interesting. Yeah, I, that's what I'm saying. The actual story yeah so this one is really good so you've got the writer whose purpose in life is to write so he writes until he literally drops dead he's, he's scared that he'll Writing. never go back yeah and that's really my only problem with this is i turned the page and, and saw that this was metatextual commentary on a story and i almost lost the will to live right thankfully it's only this one page mm. i don't mind neil gaiman doing it because that's his shtick yeah. Grant Morrison's kind of taking that as far as it'll oh, yeah, go yeah the bit where he's like oh i'm just the voice in your head i'm yeah. narrating your story yeah yeah, I so, agree. But it's only the one page, so it went away. Yeah, I for- I remember groaning when I read that, but then it just goes away. Yeah, because it's just an example of, of the what Mr. Socrates is doing. I suppose it's doing. the kind of the problem with us thinking that. Yeah. He's just... Socrates is narrating this guy's story, this guy's life, whereas we're interpreting that as, oh, it's just metatextual comic drivel. Yeah, and, and I suppose back when this was written, 2008... Was it 2008? Yeah, 2008, which is nearly a decade ago. Yeah, God's sake. Um, that wasn't as prevalent. Mm. So we've now covered a ton of comics with metatextual commentary and it's now getting a little bit dull. Yeah. So when this was done, and like I say, it's only the one page. Uh, love Clark's interaction with um, with with Alfred. Mm. Did you have a pleasant flight, sir? Yeah. <laughs> Which is loaded with double meaning and Clark's, oh, well, you know, come in and coach. You know, it ain't fun, Alfred. And then Batman's just like, he knows who you are. Well, let's pay off that later on. And that's beautifully says, paid off later. Well, he says to, to Jonathan Kent that flying coach isn't fun. Yeah. But then there's the bitchy comment where he says, oh, I keep secrets, Bruce. Yeah, well, I liked that. Yeah. Because this isn't Bruce's secret to give. Yes. So when Bruce arrives at the Kent farm later on, mirroring this scene, mm. very clever, uh, Martha doesn't know he's Superman. Uh, Batman, sorry. Yeah. And Superman slaps him, burns him. Yeah, it's not my secret to tell. Yeah. 
I was raised that here in corn poke <laughs> in Idaho or wherever Smallville's supposed to be. It's Kansas, isn't it? Yeah. Um, brilliant back and forth on this double page spread between between Clark and Bruce. Kelly really gets across this idea that Clark's just a nice, likable guy without the internal monologue saying, I'm Clark Kent, I'm a great guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Bruce is a bit of a dick. He is. Isn't he? Yeah. Which works for this issue. And it pays off at the end mm. when he realises that he doesn't have to be a massive dick. Yeah. So I don't mind Bruce as a dick when it pays off in that particular storyline. But when he's always just... Yeah, I don't dick. like I don't like that being the default setting. Yeah. But yeah, the dialogue is very moonlighting, rat-a-tat-tat between the two, which is funny, which I really liked. And again, Bruce goes over the top. I'm a man. A man out there every night wallowing the filth and garbage. Mm. It's like, let it go, Bruce. <laughs> you know? This is an operating table. <laughs> uh, they go to Gotham after Alfred tells them that two trucks full of money have just crashed. Uh, Batman explains that the, the, the odds of invaders from Mars being a billion to one. The odds of the... the <laughs> Trucks crashing, three trucks crashing in a bank are picoscopic. Mm. And Clark's like, is that a word? I don't believe for a second that Clark would not know what that was, given that I learned picoscopic from a Superman comic. Well, given that he's a a journalist. Yeah, well, in the the Bronze Age, because it's a scientific term, isn't it? You've got microscopes, and then there's picoscopes are below microscopes. And Superman used picoscopic vision in a Bronze Age comic book that I read when I was a kid. Okay. So I knew that from Superman. Yeah. So there's a there's a disconnect. So you want Superman to have known what he taught it you? Yeah. Whilst I know this is post-crisis and that was pre-crisis. Yeah. There's a disconnect in my head there. I was like, no, I learned that from Superman. (laughs) So Superman knows what a picoscope is. Yeah. So stop being a dick, Bruce. (laughs) Is the general takeaway from that? Well, it's not stop being a dick, Bruce. It's the writing of Superman. Yeah, it's slightly off. Joe Kelly. I mean, I don't want to say that, though, because I love this issue. I genuinely enjoy this one. It is a bit... It makes him seem unnecessarily stupid. Yeah. I'm not I, saying you're stupid for not knowing what the word means, but it makes Clark Superman to seem a bit... A better response, though, would have been that small. And Bruce going, you know what that means? Or to just not have Superman go, what does that word mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Goofy. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, I'm a little bit fuzzy on exactly how Superman lost his powers. Now, there is... You mentioned when we were reading this afternoon, there was a very Panic in the Sky vibe to this. Yeah. That issue, episode of the 50s TV show where he loses his powers, doesn't he? Mm. So there's a nod to that in this story. But... In this story, does he? Is it psychosomatic that he loses them? Yeah, it must be because he gets it back from believing in himself. Yeah. So then, is Superman losing his powers here a re- a reaction to Mister Socrates asking him these questions? So Superman has fallen under Mister Socrates' spell, and he's questioning who he is. And at his heart, he's Clark Kent. Yeah, because he goes back to his roots. Yeah. So, is that what happened? See, I, I don't know. Because he doesn't actually lose his no. powers. But my problem with stories like this is always, he can't lose his powers if he's under Earth's yellow sun. See, I thought the whole he has to believe himself thing to be a bit of a, a cheat way No, I didn't mind that because that's they explain that's how you get out of Mr. Socrates' control. 
Yes. All these people that die is because they doubt themselves and their abilities. Yeah, but all those people who doubt... It's like... He actually says, if you can conquer that, you can come out the other side all and right. you're fine. Superman technically doesn't have any powers because he can do them biologically. Yeah. Right? So, for him to lose his powers because he starts to doubt in himself is like someone not being able to walk or to Because breathe. they suddenly think they can't walk. Yeah. Walking and breathing to us is something we do naturally because that's what we can do as humans. But so Kryptonians can fly and do heat vision stuff mm. because that's what they can do biologically. Yeah, but there are aren't there scientific precedents for people who are psychologically blocked from walking after an accident or something. There's actually right. nothing wrong with them. I don't know if that's true or not. But that that's the only explanation for this that makes sense to me. Yeah. That... Mr. Socrates' questions caused him to start questioning himself, which is his power. Or maybe the, the meteorite thing. Well, that was another Eff- possibility. Affected his powers and Socrates and Superman's doubts hmm. just fed on that. Possibly. But, my, see, that goes back into what you just said. He, he gets his powers from Earth's yellow sun, so... Yeah. He shouldn't really lose them as long as he's on Earth. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. So, um, the question here is, did... Did he manage to divert this astrodite, or were loads of people killed? They don't really make that clear either. No, I Superman do... flies into the astrodite, and then that's it. Yeah, I do like the 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 jump in time, but it would have been better if they'd have filled in a bit more information. Well, the next panel, it is three weeks later, and Lex is on TV, still talking about this. Yeah, uh, there's a lawsuit or whatever. Superman is incapable of defusing the astrodite incident properly, and his ineptitude nearly cost us the planet. Neely. Mm. So did he save Gotham with the the then? He can't have he can't have failed because there's an entire phalanx of Gotham though that would have been wiped out, including Batman. Yes. So my reading of that was he did manage to get the Astrodite to safety mm. and lost his powers psychosomatically. Yeah. Alright, fair enough. See, there's a part of me that likes there's ambiguity to that, but at the same time, he's still going, is this amazing Spider-Man annual number one where he just loses his powers because Stan says he does? Right. Yeah. There's a little bit of that to it, but it does tie in with what Batman later says about Mr. Socrates. Mm. You have to believe in yourself yeah. and you can come out of it. So Mr. Socrates' point of view, he's only testing you. And if you die because of his test, well, that's your fault, not him. So technically... Socrates is a good guy. He's doing you a favour. Yes. If you happen to die because of it, well, tough. Yeah. That's your fault. No, it is. Um, I do like that in two pages, Kelly manages to explore exactly what Superman feel like losing his powers. Yeah. Yeah, the internal monologue here is really good. That he's used to arriving in Smallville and smelling that Mars cooked a pie, and he can't. And he's used to hearing his dad fiddling with the tractor, and he can't. And like you say, it pays off earlier flying. Coach really stinks, Per, which is what he said to Alfred earlier on, but this time he means it. And he's got that whole thing that how do you recover from that? Mm. When you've had all them powers, what do you do? He goes home. Yeah. He goes to mum and dad, which I really liked. I thought that was really cool. But then, so you've got this guy here who did survive, Mm. and that gives Batman the clue. As to what Mr. Socrates is doing. But he's, he's damaged from it. Oh, yeah. But he survived. It's, it's kind of like Saw or Silent Hill. Yeah. And that technically he's doing you a favour. but Yeah, but you didn't probably really want him to, wasn't he? Uh, Bruce tracks him down because he's Bruce. I do like the lemonade. Yeah. <laughs> you got away from mom without drinking it. 
Alfred ran defence, complimented her on her stitch work. I think she's knitting him an Afghan right now. Mm. Funny lad. Bruce, when he's not being a dick, yeah, is really funny. And again, like you said, Superman points out that he's not told him his secret. And he takes him back to Gotham. It's here where Bruce has his, his change. Yeah. When he's talking to Robin about Superman. And Superman's like, you know, Gotham needs Batman, but the world needs Superman. Mm. And he's saying it's truth, justice, the American way. They're not just words to him. He believes them. Yeah. And you can, the, the artwork there is really good at zooming in on Batman's Even face. If the colours are a bit naff. Yeah, the colours are They really are. The colours are dreadful. I know the cave's going to be dark, but really turn a bloody light on. <laughs> but yeah, that's, the, and Dick Grayson's always had this great relationship with Superman. Mm. And Kelly does mine that in only, again, only a couple of pages, a couple yeah. of panels, a couple of lines of dialogue. He does a really good job. Dick's very cocky. But his admiration for Superman is genuine. I love this version of Dick Grayson. He's a little, got a bit more edge to him yeah. than the Burt Ward version because he's a circus kid. So he mm. would have, wouldn't he? He's a carny. Yeah. He'd have a bit of an edge. So Batman invents this exoskeleton suit because he's Batman. Yeah. Uh, to disguise himself as Superman so that Metropolis thinks Superman's still around. Another example of the differences between Clark and Bruce. Bruce just takes down Metallo without even talking. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that he's a big melted slag on the floor and he's like, what just happened? Mm. <laughs> Sorry, I genuinely laughed. I, I like how the, the Superman costume looks like a blow-up balloon. Yeah, he does look like the Macy's Day Parade he balloon. Looks, he, he looks more cuddly than robotic. Mm. I do. I love as well that he's got a mask on. Yeah, and he just takes off like Iron Man armor. Mm. So he's basically he's got a, a Superman armor. Yeah, that looks like Superman. Super Iron Man. <laughs> uh, and you've got that thing where Batman has all those people celebrating and holding up Superman placards, and because everybody loves Superman. Yeah. And the public love him, and and Bruce is kind of touched by that. Mm. So again, Kelly's bringing the story he's changing the characters as he goes through he's telling a proper story with these two characters yeah which is really cool um i do wonder how easy it is for clark to just hop on a plane though um, he just says can you drive me to the airport yeah this was back in the day oh well, no it wasn't was it 2001 has happened at this point yeah you can't just walk up to an airport now and say oh, i want to fly to kansas oh we've got a flight in two hours mm. yeah all right fair enough um the two pages where Batman teaches Superman. The montage. The the Rocky montage. It's absolute genius. And I, I do like how of like the one of the, the emails says I've been waiting weeks just to tell us how long this montage has been going on for. Mm. Yeah, well I don't mind that. Because you know you're covering weeks though. And Robin's training. Show lots him of as... scenes of what's going on. Yeah, Robin's training him as well and you know. <laughs> I love that Batman makes a few digs at green arrow in this story as well yeah, yeah i'll get all of it to bring the arrow car and pick you up I, I like how now that he's clark kent and not superman he's pretty out of shape and naff yeah well he's, he's never had to exercise has he because he's just default stronger yeah, so batman teaching him so technically when he gets his powers back hmm. he should be even stronger well there's a there's an argument though that that clark would now be able to handle himself yeah, if he lost his powers again, because Batman has given him some rudimentary training, or weeks worth of training. Was Clark going back to Metropolis and just trucking between Gotham and while this was going on? 
I guess. Oh, was he just staying in the cave? No, he stays in rats. the cave because he has a, a bag with him. All right, he doesn't eat rats, then. He does not eat rats. He does not eat rats. No, that's, that's a good thing. Um, Kelly really does a good job of getting into the characters' heads, which is the monologues do pay off. Yeah. And then you're right about the beginning, where they, they are a bit sucky. But as you go along, the monologues really do. And when the supernova bit is my understanding that that was the, the thrust of the original story. Right. Superman loses his powers and becomes supernova. Here it's handled in two pages. Oh, is supernova a, a, an actual thing then? Yeah, I think I believe. Because in 52, mm. Booster Gold is supernova. Right. With exactly the same costume, only here it's purple and green, whereas in that it's white and blue. All oh, right, well, maybe it's supposed to be white and blue here, but the colouring's so muddy we can't tell. Yeah. That's possible. But it is a really good scene where Clark has never felt that kind of fear before. Mm, going up against the Joker. And, you know, Batman saying truth and justice are just words when somebody sticks a knife between your ribs. Yeah. You had to feel what that's like. I can't teach you that. Mm. You've got to face the Joker. And he's like, if you hadn't been there, I'd have killed him. Yeah. And there's Batman kind of... I do like... I, I'd like to think Batman's thinking, oh, if I just waited another minute. Batman's not there, though. No, he is The Joker attacks him and Clark lashes out with his flamethrower and yeah. that makes the Joker run off. The Joker runs off. Yeah, Batman's not there, you're right. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Unless, unless Batman said, it doesn't matter what happens, I'll be there to watch you back where he's back in the Batcave. <laughs> with his feet up. Yeah. And a coffee. Yeah. His chilly black coffee. If you hadn't been there, I would have died. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if I hadn't been there, yeah. <laughs> exactly right there, Clark. Yeah, if I hadn't been there. Mm, yeah. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of good character stuff in this. Mm. Joe Kelly really does mind the psychological implications of Superman losing his powers and, and, and Batman. Dick saying Superman doesn't quit. Yeah, all of this is great stuff. There's mm. some excellent stuff in this. Whereas Superman Batman Annual Number One, we felt was a little bit piss takey, didn't we? When mm. we covered it for Happy Birthday Superman. Oh yeah. This yeah. one was genuine. Yes. Yeah, there's a little bit of piss takery to it in the dialogue. Because Joe Kelly's a bit of a piss takery writer. But the 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 heart of it, the emotional impact of it, is is genuine. Yeah. Batman realising what Superman means to the world and Superman realising what Batman goes through on a nightly basis. Yeah. It's giving both characters a greater understanding of who the other one is. Mm. And it does it exceptionally well. Um, I mean, sure, like, like we've said, you know, Superman's powers just come back when he sees Bruce suffering the stroke that's brought on by Mr. Socrates. There's a lot of interesting implications to what Bruce is asking himself. Yeah. When he talks to Mr. Socrates, he's like, why am I doing this? I can't possibly win. This war is is pointless. Yeah. It's nothing but lingering death. Bullets, blades, poisons for nothing. I must be crazy. And that's him questioning himself. And it's Robin who manages to serve him with some anti-stroke juice. Yeah. What was that? I don't know. Because there is a line of dialogue where he says, yeah, we call it anti-stroke juice, but it's not that. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Yeah. And you're like, okay. Just so that Superman doesn't go... So it's you who's been stealing medical supplies from hospitals. <laughs> yeah, okay. And through this, it's Superman... Superman seeing Batman go through this enables him to psychosomatically get, get over what he's gone through. And he then convinces Batman that he can win. Mm. Every life he saves is a victory. Yeah. So again, not only have they seen each other's lives through each other's eyes... You get to the end of it where the both of them are needed to help the other one. And yeah. without each other, they wouldn't have got through this. Proper team up between the two of them. Mm. No unresolved issues at the end <laughs> of the story. Just saying. 
Um, and Batman didn't die from to come back a few pages later. <laughs> that as well. That that didn't happen. That's that's absolutely yeah, absolutely true. Um, the epilogue is really sweet and funny, where they both stood talking about the Justice League and wrapping up the story. You know what I loved about this epilogue? You don't see them properly. Yeah, it's all backs of heads and shadowy capes, and when they leap off the page, they're disappearing. Which I thought like I love, and I love the ending. Let's talk about this Justice League idea. Two words, no way. How about reserve status? Keep talking. Mm. But but what even was though, even though the Justice League of America was nineteen issues in yeah. to a, a team story in which Superman and Batman were two of the founding members of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Other than that continuity loophole. <laughs> Um, I love this one. I genuinely love this issue. I think, you know, it's great. I just think it's great. I think the main Superman, Batman, Batman, Superman boot went off the boil after Loeb left. But the the annuals were good. Mm. The annuals stayed consistently good throughout the four of them, the four Superman, Batman annuals. And they're all really good, just like there are four DC Comics Presents annuals that are all really good. I love this one. What do you think? Yeah, it was good. All of them were all top choices Still tonight by not, me. Not a fan of the art. I've not been convinced. I I think a lot of that's down to the crappy colouring. No, because I read. Look at that page. Yeah, but I've read. You a, can't tell what's going on. See, actually, I, I didn't mind the story in the the, the colouring in this. It's just I can't get behind the art. I don't mind Scott Collins. I like Scott Collins a great deal. All right. Okay. That about wraps it up for comic books. Away from the comic books, some of our favourite Superman Batman team ups have happened. Off these printed pages. The first time they met in the critically acclaimed and award-winning 90s animated series was in the appropriately named World's Finest. This was a three-part episode released over here in the UK as a direct-to-video animated movie. We had it on video. Which we had on video. You used to watch it all the time. Eventually, you added it at Nan's. Did I? For a while, yeah. It may still be at Nan's for all I know, unless they've got rid of all the videos. I think it's excellent. Mm. voice casting that are, are exemplary uh, there is a genuine reason in that for Superman and Batman to not like each other yeah. Bruce starts dating Lois Lane oh, yeah. which is one of those ideas you're like why has nobody ever thought of that before <laughs> mm. and then at the end of it Lois knows that he's Batman that's yeah. the only misstep with it right. Lois knows that Bruce wins Batman at the end of that story and as far as I remember they never do anything with that right. in the Superman series mm. ever which you know given the Batman of that comic he would probably have said to Lois oh yeah and Clark's Superman <laughs> that's probably what he would have done uh, another classic is the Superman animated episode Night Time in this episode Superman covers for a missing Batman in Gotham with hilarious results you know, he teams up with Robin yeah I think that's an excellent episode hmm. it isn't quite a Batman Superman team up because yeah. Batman's not really it's, in it it's much. a Superman Robin team up but it's great Yeah, I love that episode I think that episode's absolute genius and that about wraps it up for tonight this show is done. Stick a fork in it. We've got another one out of the way. Next time on an all new episode of Hey Kids Comics, either our We've Been a Bit Mean to Jim Lee for the past couple of shows, so we're going to be <laughs> nice to him for a bit. Right. Or Night and Court of Owls, depending on which one we get written first. Oh, it'll be the same show. Will it? All, all right. right. Well, our first look at Capullo and Snyder's Batman run. Yeah. Um, Even though we've I suspect done. the Jim Lee one will be the first. I've started one. working on my show. Well, mine's nearly finished. Right, okay. But you're aware next week. I am. So, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, Alright, thank you very much for joining us for this one. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back real soon. Bye-bye. Goodbye.
Hey Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do production and a Two True Freaks presentation. The opinions of Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew. Uh, music used in the show is for review purposes only and we believe that comes under fur use. If you want to drop a few tips in our tip jar, feel free to use the Two True Freaks Amazon link, which costs you nothing, but gives us a little something to help produce content like this. Michael and Andrew are both on Twitter and on Facebook, and correspondence to the show can be sent to HeyKidsComics at virginmedia.com. Batman is a long-time favourite of ours, and Superman has our utmost respect, especially after the aforementioned Happy Birthday Man series. Happy Birthday Man? <laughs> Who's Birthday Man? He visits you every year. <laughs>